Hi, my name is Mel. During these difficult and uncertain times, God has been reminding me that he is faithful, he is constant, and he never changes. That I can trust him and that he has a plan for my life. The path that he has planned for me is the best path. Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Well, yep. Well, it's good to be here with you. My name is Mike Turner, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to open God's Word and to uh, bring that to you. How about we pray as we begin our time together this morning? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. Help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to be transformed by the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, the new is far better than the old. The new is far better than the old. When we first got married, we didn't have much money. We were uni students, and a lot of friends gave us their old stuff, which was wonderful. And one of them gave us this big 68-centimeter, big, deep cathode TV. And that was kind of fun and awesome, but it was enormous back in those days. Back when the recession happened in 2008, we got the Kevin 07 money, and we used that money to invest in a new little plasma TV. It was only small, but it was amazing. And we kept saying to ourselves, the new is so much better than the old TV. Well, as time went on and we finished studies and we, we got proper jobs and all that sort of stuff, we, we eventually moved on from our tiny little plasma 19-inch to a proper LED TV. And the new was so much better than the old. If you've upgraded through the years through the TVs, there's no way you'd be caught dead watching some of those old TVs anymore, would you? We've got TVs on our walls and TVs all over the place, and the, the resolution and the definition is amazing because the new is much better than the old. You've been working your way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's a pretty intense book, isn't it? It's a book filled with the mess of the Christian church. The church has been pretty messed up. They've done a whole lot of bad things, and yet Paul can say that they are sanctified in Christ, Christ Jesus. They are holy and special and set apart. Last week, we, you would have heard from James as he taught through the importance of the resurrection. And today, we pick it up in the rest of chapter 15, and we see just how important the resurrection of the Lord Jesus really is and why the resurrection really matters. And so we pick it up with our first point this morning, point number one, the resurrection is crucial. And we see there in verse 12, as was read for us. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul tells us pretty straight up that the resurrection of the dead is crucial to the Christian faith. And he lists a whole lot of different reasons why. Firstly, the resurrection is important because with no resurrection, Christ has not been raised in verses 14 and 16. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, I wonder if you've thought about this before, it means that death wins. Jesus was a nice guy, he did a whole bunch of nice miracles and, you know, ruffled a few feathers and he did some pretty cool stuff. But at the end of the day, no resurrection means that the nice guy is still dead. And it doesn't matter. He's still in the grave and he's a failed saviour. Well, not only that, but if there's no resurrection, it means that Paul's preaching is useless in verse 14. If the guy is still in the grave then it doesn't matter how great your preaching skills are, what you're preaching is rubbish. It's a waste of time. It's useless. Not only that, but no resurrection means that Christians' faith is useless and futile in verses 14 and 17. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's not around. He can't help you with your life, and there's definitely no hope beyond this life, and he can't do anything with your sin problem. Not only that, but Paul and others are false witnesses about God in verse 15. Paul's a charlatan. He's a liar. He's a deceiver and making God out to be a liar. God says he'll raise Jesus and Jesus hasn't been raised, therefore God's a liar. Not only that, but believers are still in their sins in verse 17. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, 
then he hasn't taken our place, has he? He hasn't borne God's wrath for our sin. He hasn't washed us clean. We're still sinners under the righteous judgment of God. And that is the worst news in the universe. And we can't do anything to save ourselves. We are eternally doomed. Not only that, but those who have died are lost forever in verse 18. No resurrection means that when you're dead, you're dead. It means that your loved ones are dead. Last week, my wife and I uh, watched a funeral service for a stillborn baby. It was horrible that we had to do it via Zoom, let alone the fact that here was this child who had died so shortly into his life. If there is no resurrection for the dead, then every funeral is the final tragic goodbye. There is no hope. And of course, in verse 19, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then the whole Christian life is a joke. It's a waste of time, and we're to be pitied, despised. We're pathetic. The fact that you're watching this today, if there's no resurrection of the dead, is you're wasting your Sunday. Get outside. If you've been giving or serving to the church, you're wasting your time. Keep your money. Keep your time. Sometimes some people say that, you know, well, if Christianity doesn't, isn't true, then at least I've led a good life. That's what my grandfather thinks. 90 years old, he loves the morals of Christianity, but doesn't believe in the afterlife business. But if the resurrection isn't true, it doesn't matter how good a person you are. Because in the end, the end is the same for all. It's terribly tragic. And you have wasted your life if you've thrown your lot in with this Christian mumbo-jumbo if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Friends, Christianity rests entirely, 100%, on the historical resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Not in the minds of believers, not in some fairy tale, but in the true historical data that Jesus rose from the dead. And last week, James took you through that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus, then Christianity comes falling down like a house of cards. But as we've seen from last week, there is very good historical proof that Jesus did rise from the dead. Which leads Paul to say in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's point is simple. Christ's resurrection proves that we will be raised from the dead. Why? Because Christ's resurrection was the first fruits, an idea that many of you gardeners uh, get, right? It's springtime. At the start of the season, as the fruit starts to come, as the flowers start to come, it's a sign, it's a guarantee, it's an assurance of what is to come. In the same way that the rest of the fruit follows the first fruit, the rest of the dead will follow Jesus in his resurrection. Not only that, but in the Old Testament times, the first fruits were sacrificed to God, given to him. And this made the rest of the fruit, the rest of the harvest, holy, set apart, special part of God's. And so the destiny of Christ is the destiny of those who trust in him. 
Friends, there are only two destinies. There is the destiny of those who belong to Adam, which is death. And there is the destiny of those who belong to Christ, which is life. When all is said and done, there is only two choices, death or life. Christ or not. Friends, what is your destiny? But the resurrection of Christ isn't just crucial for us, as great as that is. But here's the thing. Salvation history isn't ultimately about us and our salvation. It's crucial because God's great salvation plan is bigger than just us in verses 24 to 28. God's great big salvation plan, which you're seeing with the kids talk with all the beads and and the colors and where that's going, the whole of the Bible is where every rule and authority and power opposed to God is finally destroyed in Christ. When Christ has done this, all of creation, the creation that groans, will finally be reordered and restored and made right under God the Father and His universal Lordship. The point is that Christ has the authority and power as the risen one to do this. He can do it and He will do it. This isn't just wishful thinking. You know, I really hope that Jesus can do something about this broken world now that He's sitting at God's right hand. And it's not just the powers and authorities out there, is it? But it's our own hearts in here. The ones that need to have God as our true Lord and Father and and Jesus as our Saviour. The resurrection is crucial because it means that it is mission accomplished for Christ's work. Without the resurrection, there is no renewal. There is no restoration. There is no reordered new creation. And of course, there's lots we can say about verses 29 to 34. Lots of people have different ideas there. But the point is, is if there is no resurrection, then all of the Christian things you've been doing in your life, all of the things you've been doing, you think you've been doing for God, are a waste of time. You may as well just eat, drink and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Well, not only is the resurrection crucial... But Paul tells us the resurrection is bodily. And this is our second point, point number two, the resurrection is bodily. And we pick it up in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Have you ever had someone ask you that question, maybe uh, in a Bible study, or maybe you should put your kids to sleep, or maybe someone, a co-worker at work? You know, if, if there is this afterlife sort of thing, what does it actually look like? Are we really on clouds playing harps and, and, and all that sort of weird sort of stuff? Like that? Is that what it's like? It's a fascinating question. Paul says our resurrection will be bodily. We're not going to be some weird ghosty floating around sort of things. For Paul to even say that Jesus was raised physically let alone those who trust in him will be raised physically, was actually totally countercultural in his day. Maybe you know this already. Because back in those days, if you were a Greek or a Roman and you were, you know, intelligent and powerful and wise, you actually wanted to escape the body. Because the body and creation was bad and messed up. Why in the world would you want to come back alive and have a physical body at all? That just sounds crazy. 
But because Jesus comes back physically in his resurrection, it means that God has a plan for creation. He cares for it. He's not turning his back on it. He's not going to screw it up and chuck it out and start again totally new. He's going to fix it by restoring it. He's going to transform it. He's going to renew it. And he's going to reorder it like it should have been, only better. We know, don't we, that this world can be pretty messed up at times. We're living in a lot of it at the moment, let alone for what it's like in the rest of the world, where COVID is just number 10 on the most deadly, challenging things they're facing each day. But our world can also be beautiful and wonderful. It is a good gift from our loving God. And there's two things that Paul wants us to know about our resurrection bodies. There is an element of sameness with our body now, but more significantly, there is a remarkable and radical difference to our bodies now. Sameness and difference all together. And we see this with the Lord Jesus in his resurrected body. He is still Jesus. His disciples eventually recognize him. The resurrected Jesus had a physical body. You could have touched him. He ate food with them and was with them. And so there was an element of sameness with Jesus in his resurrected body. But there was also a profound difference as well. He could pass through locked doors and eventually he ascended into heaven and is now in glorious appearance at the right hand of God as we read in Revelation. And so we won't be exactly the same as we are now. Now, of course, depending on who you are and how old you are or how many medical appointments you have, it's probably good news that your body will be a little bit different from this. And the big metaphor Paul uses to help us understand this continuity and discontinuity, this sameness and difference with our bodies now and our resurrected bodies, is the relationship between a seed and a plant. In verse 36, you put the seed in the ground almost like a dead body. Dead and buried and out of what seems like nothingness and death comes life. Life that is so much more abundant and so much more wonderful than the teeny, tiny, little dead seed that looks dead. The other day, one of the things we've been doing as a family is trying to get out and enjoy this beautiful part of God's world as we go on bushwalks and the like. And one of my daughters said to me, Daddy, let's collect all the seeds that we can find. And so we went around and collected all these different seeds from different plants. And the funny thing about seeds is seeds almost always look nothing like the plant or the tree that they're going to become, do they? How can a, a tree of huge proportions be captured in a tiny little gum nut or in a, in, a, in a knobbly sort of thing? And yet this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that it's the same with our resurrected bodies. Our body now is like the seed. Dead, lifeless at times, and yet... When we have life in Jesus, the resurrection hope is that of life so much more abundant, like the tree, like the bush. One day our lives will be so much more full of life and abundance than they are now, as we see the Lord Jesus face to face around his throne. Friends, as a Christian, our best life is not now. Our best life is not post-lockdowns. Our best life is in our resurrected bodies with the Lord Jesus. And just a reminder in verse 38, that God is the one who is the body giver. 
We contribute nothing to our resurrected bodies. How can we? We are dead, we're spiritually dead, and we'll be physically dead. We cannot raise ourselves, and yet one of the greatest gifts God gives is what we cannot achieve for ourselves. He gives us new life and the hope of that resurrection joy. And Paul makes the point in verse 42. He says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now friends, if you are over 25, then you know that your body is wearing out. My dad jokes that when he was in his 20s, he could jump out of a two-story window, roll around, and be fine to walk off. But now that he's 66, almost 67, all he has to do is turn slightly the wrong way in the shower and he's an invalid on the bed for weeks. Scientists tell us that after 30, you become weaker, slower, have less muscle mass, your blood vessels and arteries stiffen, causing your heart to work harder, bones become smaller and weaker, no matter how much calcium you have, memory, eyesight and hearing starts to go, and your skin becomes less elastic and more translucent. You become fra fragile and your metabolism slows down. All of a sudden, you can't smash up all that takeaway like you used to, all those donuts or whatever it is. It starts to hang around a little bit longer. Of course, all we have to do is look in the mirror to be reminded that our bodies are wasting away. And for some of us, we're more aware of that than others. Of course, you'll remember last month that the Olympics were held in Tokyo. The Olympics is the greatest show on earth because what we see is the peak of humanity, the beauty, the strength, the power of humanity in its finest. The fastest, strongest, most talented bodies in the whole of humanity. And Paul says, even the best bodies in humanity are perishable. They're wasting away. They are sown in dishonour and weakness. Because of the fall, because of all, all of our part in Adam, we are dust. Our bodies are subjected to the brokenness of creation. They cry out in longing, in frustration. Doesn't your body at times cry out? Maybe for a day, maybe for a week, maybe it's been groaning for a long time. Our bodies have a best before date, a used by date a no longer working date. But the good news is that that isn't the story for those who are in Christ. For those in Christ, we have the hope of a resurrection body. A resurrection body that will be raised imperishable, no use by date, no best before, no worn out bits. A resurrection body that will be raised in glory. A glory, Paul says, in Romans 8, 18, and in 2 Corinthians 4, that is not worth comparing to our bodies and sufferings now. Imagine that. What glory. A resurrected body that will be raised in power, not in weakness. The problem with our bodies now is that they're not heavenly. They're not ready for heaven yet, Paul says in verse 50. As you know, as you've been going through 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians had a serious problem, a timing problem. 
They got power and glory and strength totally mixed up. They were looking for it for the here and now. They looked for it in people and places now rather than in the future with Jesus. But the day will come when in Christ, the fall of humanity, where our wretched bodies will be undone. A number of years ago, I was connected with a Christian lady, Ruth, who was in a nursing home. Ruth was in her 70s and was suffering a crippling uh, neurological degenerative disease. She was literally hunched over and a crippled mess. She could barely talk, she couldn't see, and what we used to do, I used to meet with her about once a fortnight, we used to, I used to read the Bible to her, and I used to pray for her. And we'd read passages like this, and as she sat there wasting away, each week worse than the last, and we'd read passages like this, I'd say to Ruth, Ruth, isn't this wonderful hope that you have? One day you will run again. You will leap for joy in the presence of Jesus. And she said in the whispering tones, yes, that is what I hope for. The family asked me to conduct her funeral and it was wonderful to know that Ruth's crippled, broken body, this wasting away shell, had now been fully transformed and raised imperishable and will be with the Lord Jesus when he comes. Paul says in verse 49 that Ruth and all those who die in the Lord now fully bear the image of Christ. True humanity is found in Jesus. And this transformation will happen in the twinkling of an eye in verses 51 and 54. And just like that, we'll be clothed with our glorious heavenly bodies. And so far, Paul has told us that the resurrection is crucial and that the resurrection is bodily. And now quickly for our third point, point number three, Paul tells us the resurrection is victory. Verse 54 of chapter 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? When the risen Lord Jesus comes and returns and the dead are finally raised up and given new bodies, that will be the complete and final defeat of death that was accomplished at the cross. And what Paul wants us to fully understand is that death will be totally defeated once and for all. And this is the picture of being swallowed up. The idea of being swallowed up is like a, like a massive shark coming and swallowing up a little fish or any other sort of predator, maybe a lion with a mouse, totally devoured, totally gone, totally finished. Nothing left behind, no trace, no existence. Not only will death be destroyed, but its sting of sin will be destroyed in verse 56 as well, which is probably a reference to death being behind sin and the umbrella under which all of sin takes place. Our spiritual death leads to weakness and, give, and giving in to sin. Death and sin are buddies. Our spiritual death in Adam leads to sin, just as sin leads to death. Basically, death's got nothing as a result of the victory and resurrection of Christ. The complete defeat of death and all of its causes and consequences and allies and partners, this isn't just a ceasefire. 
It's not a peace treaty. It's not a, please be really nice and don't do anything wrong, otherwise I'm going to have to put you in the corner again. It's not we take this part of the death operation, take this part out of the death operation, but it respawns under a different business name in another country. No, the total destruction once and for all of death, this is what it is. No chance of it rearing its head again. No chance of it wreaking havoc and ripping apart families and trashing hopes and dreams. No more funerals. No more goodbyes. No more mockery of life. No more tears. And Paul shows us in passages like Isaiah 25 that he quotes and others like Daniel 12, that this was always what the Bible was looking forward to, that the resurrection was coming, that the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, that God will bring about this future, that is what is happening. Because the resurrection of the dead shows us that Jesus wins. He overcame the grave, death could not hold him down, and he who has defeated the grave and conquered death is the one through whom God gives us the victory over death. We have confidence in this victory because of Jesus. No wonder Paul breaks out with thanks be to God in verse 57. And because of all of that, Paul says that the resurrection is crucial, it is bodily and it is victory, means that that life here and now matters. That was one of the problems of the Corinthians. I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what I do with the body. But Paul says it does matter. The resurrection means now matters. Be steadfast and stand firm, sisters and brothers. Keep your faith. Keep your hope. Don't be distracted. Don't drift away from your sure and certain resurrection hope in the things that want to demand your life and your all. Don't drift away from the certain guaranteed hope of the resurrection of Christ. Abound in the work of the Lord now, sisters and brothers. Don't hold back. Your labor in the Lord matters. Christian ministry is definitely on focus. That matters. People matter. But probably also other work as well, as we work in Christ. Sisters and brothers, the resurrection of Christ is crucial. It is bodily and it is victory. One person says... Resurrection means endless hope, but no resurrection means a hopeless end. May you know and have this resurrection hope that gives you endless hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, for his victory over the grave, for his defeat of sin and death. Thank you that it is the first fruits and the assurance of what we too will be raised. We look forward to this resurrection body where we will praise you around your throne. Help us to live in the confidence and assurance and victory that Christ brings and to look forward to that final day. In Jesus' name, amen.